heard every other Saturday morning during the summer months throughout the province. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. This is your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith about a few issues of the day, to ask your questions, to voice your concerns, whatever's on your mind, but please keep your questions or concerns as short as possible because we've only got so much time, folks. Same thing with your text messages Keep those short and sweet. You know the numbers in Calgary, 403-974-8255. In Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Premier Smith, welcome to the show. Well, hi, Wayne. Stampede is done. Can you relax a little bit? Oh, there's no relaxing over summer. It's just too much fun over the summer. Because this is the time that you get to go to every single community and go in the parades and take part in the rodeo. So uh, last week I was in Red Deer for Westerner Days. Uh, I'll be going to Medicine Hat for their stampede. I'll be going to Whoop Up Days in Lethbridge. I've got Corn Fest coming up. Um, there's going to be a great rodeo in Pollockville. There's all sorts of fun things still Bump, to be had. Bumper crop for Tabor Corn, I hear, this year. You got year. it. Looking now, forward to it. I've got my usual uh, couple, maybe a few questions off the top before we head to those phone and text lines. Here's some of the topics I want to address today. Decentralizing our centralized health care system. That was in the news this week. Clarification on the Alberta, health, uh, Alberta Pension Plan. Electricity rates, auto insurance. But first, I've seen it. I don't think I'm going to be able to forget it. It pops into my mind when I least expect it, like those earwig songs you can't get out of your head. I'm talking about the big donaire. The donaire. All right, I can't ignore this one. So a little bit of levity to kick things off today. In your opinion, what's the attraction? Why so much interest in this very realistic costume? By by the way, a photo of you with the big donaire. Well, I have to say, it caught us by surprise that this particular item that's being auctioned off as surplus ended up going so viral. And we'll give credit where due to Catherine Gurkowski because she monitors this site and she said, what is this? And so she put something out on, on Twitter and then every Everybody started following it. So I knew that there was something uh, something to it when I was at a, a meeting with my chief of staff and he couldn't stop looking at the, uh, at, I, I at, the at this trading it's, site. It's like a train wreck that you just, you, you have to watch. It, totally. Right? And so then now you've got all of these different competitors happening, all these different donor shops who want to have this as their mascot. And we've got this fight going on because the traditional donor created in Halifax doesn't have lettuce. And the one we have has lettuce oh, on so it. Oh, so it could be a shawarma. Well, it, well, completely. And so this is just it. This is what they said. I think in Halifax, if they win it, they're going to take the <laughs> lettuce off. <laughs> so there's just been all of these stories. And then I think Catherine did some good work, too, and understand, well, why was it bought in the first place? Well, there's the other question. But it looks like, at the very least, the province is going to recoup its costs. I it, think the, the last bid was over 16000 now. Exactly. And I, and I should say, because the reason they bought it at the time, it was a PC ad campaign. They were going to try to warn about driving under the influence of cannabis. I think the notion was that you'd be driving and you'd look over in the passenger seat and you'd see your friend, but it would actually be a donaire. And so there's a great <laughs> debate over over what uh, over whether or not to use it. Ultimately, the uh, the when the, when when the government changed, they, they decided not to go with the ad campaign. And I think Brian Mason said, "I didn't even know they'd bought the costume." So there it is. Now it's come out, and um, and and I think the nice part is is it, it's a giving a little bit of profile to that campaign, regardless. And uh, I think people were having a little bit of fun, but I I did make the joke that I was craving a donaire. Went over to Taste of Edmonton, one of Edmonton's fantastic summer festivals. I thought, why not meet the donaire while I'm having a donaire? And so he met us over there. All right. On a more serious topic, healthcare has been and continues to be one of the biggest concerns for Albertans. I think most of us will agree that the system as is just isn't working as well as we'd like. Let's talk about your decentralizing plan. Is it your intention to return to 
the way things used to be, or is it to be a blending of of past and present? A blend, because here's here's the 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 way I think people should look at, at it. Any large corporation has a head office, and then they have individual operations at individual outlets. Like for example, there's head office decisions that gets made at Tim Hortons headquarters, but they don't micromanage what's happening at the at the Tim Hortons in High River. There's a local manager who manages the day to day, who makes sure they're optimizing the, what they're selling to make make sure that they've got the right staffing to make sure that they're maximizing the c- consumer experience. Still has to abide by policy and procedure. Completely, that's yeah. what we're aiming towards. Is this blend? Because there are some great things that came out of the centralization. The fact that we do have the ability to have centralized procurement and get good prices when we go out to buy medical equipment and pharmaceuticals. That's positive. We <clears throat> we do have a system where we can have centralized payroll and centralized legal and centralized technology. That's all great. But when I, I, I've been I've been waiting to see whether or not the system can optimize on its own from the center. And just after I got elected, went and visited Brooks Hospital. And Brooks Hospital has had a wing that has been completed for nine months and it is not in use. I've got five doctors down there. They have they are anesthesiologists. They would love to be able to do partial knee replacements there and they can't get a decision maker to say yes. But guess what? If they had the local control, they would be able then to decide what the best facility, uh, what best use of the facility was, how they'd be able to get more uh, more patients in because the, and then they would be able to do the local recruitment. That's what we're trying to get is we know that the system has some big things that it's got to do to, to coordinate, but every single one of our 106 facilities needs to be able to optimize. In some communities, it's going to be delivering babies and others is going to be doing knee and hip replacements. We're just not going to get full use of our facilities unless local people are consulting with the local community and have local control to make them. Do you see this as a reduction in bureaucracy? In my humble opinion, bureaucracy is self-perpetuating. The, I, I look at it as having managers come down to a different level, right? Because right now all the managers are in AHS or at the zone level. I want managers at the hospital level. So maybe somebody who's currently um, under in under capacity at one of the zone levels, maybe we give them a little bit of authority and, and uh, ability to make decisions and they go down and they manage a hospital for us. That's what I think we can do. I mean, uh, it, I, I clearly do believe that there's way too much middle management. Mm-hmm. There are too many people who have the authority to say no and not enough people who have the authority to say yes. And you give people the power, give them the resources, give them the authority to say yes at the local level. We are going to get so much better service and we're going to solve some of these problems that we keep hearing about. I mean, and it's been a problem for a long time. I remember when I was in politics the first time, going to a hospital down south and they told me, well, you know, when we run out of bleach, we're not allowed to go down to the home hardware and buy a $5 bottle of bleach. We have to go through central procurement. When I went up north... Uh, I was told that they had to truck their laundry three hours up the highway to high level because they weren't allowed to do laundry in their own in their own community. People were losing their you know their ear their ear hearing aids or their dentures, not getting them back. Some of the things just don't make sense. No, they don't. Sometimes you got you got to just make the decision to do things locally, allow people to have that empowerment to get better service. It's all got to be about the patient experience. It's okay. all got to be about better service and improving working conditions for the front line. Because I think that our the fact I found out recently that we only have thirty six percent of our nurses willing to work full time at, at full time level. Everyone else is working part time or casual, and I think that's because we've created a working environment where we burnt so many nurses out that that's the way that they're managing their schedule. They say, "Fine, if I can't have a, a shift that feels comfortable and manageable working full time, I just want to work part time or casual." So we've got to improve that too. There's lots of reasons 
why we should be empowering our, our, our front line and, and empowering local decision makers. Lots of moving parts. All right. Uh, one other question before I hit, uh, we're going to have to take a break, but I want to get this question in. Plans for an Alberta pension plan. Now, you and I have discussed this briefly on previous shows pre-election, I believe. You stated then that Albertans would be consulted first before the government made any moves. Now you've asked Finance Minister Nate Horner to take a look at the idea. Is that an indication then that your government is giving this more serious thought about going down that road? And and when can we expect Mr. Horner's report? You know, I just feel like when we tell Albertans we're going to do we're going to do a consultation, then we, we actually have to deliver the results on the consultation. We had tens of thousands of people take part in the uh, the fair deal panel discussions years ago at the start of the, the mandate. And we uh, and what they told us is. Tell us what it would look like if we had an Alberta pension plan. Tens of thousands of Albertans participated in that process. And and I feel to be respectful of democracy, we owed it to them to do the analysis, which the government did. Got a report in 2021, but because of the timing, it was right in the middle of COVID, wasn't the time to release it. And then when I came in, I was told that there were, needed to be an update to the report. It wasn't going to be available till May of 2023. So now it's available. I've been briefed on it and uh, we'll, be, we'll be rolling it out. I think people deserve to see what the numbers look like. They deserve to know how much Albertans have over-contributed to the plan. They deserve to know what uh, it would look like to reduce their premiums if we had our own plan, or conversely, how much more they would get as a senior under an Alberta-based plan. Because I can tell you it's all of those things. We have over-contributed massively. If we had control of our own plan and we decided to put all of the savings into reducing premiums, it would be substantial. If we decided to keep the premiums to the the same and just increase the amount we gave to seniors, it would be substantial. And people need to know that. And if they look at that information and they say, I don't care, I still want Justin Trudeau in Ottawa to take these dollars and distribute it across the country because we're all Canadian and that's the way it works. I'm fine with that result. But I think people need to understand just how much money has been transferred out of this province through that plan. And they need to understand that we have no control over how it's invested. They do not have a certain number of set seats on the CPP Investment Review Board. They take our premiums and then they make a decision in Eastern Canada about how it's invested. And they don't do that in Quebec. Quebec um, makes their own decisions about sure, how but, their money is invested. But they did that from the onset, though. They did it from the onset. It's very true. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's complicated if you want to, uh, at this stage, uh, get, uh, uh, develop your own plan. But okay. I think people need to know the numbers. They asked us for them. We're going to deliver them. They'll see it in the fall. And then um, my minister will consult. If, if it's pretty clear that people are hunky-dory with, this, with the status quo, then we won't have a referendum. If people are, are outraged and say, my gosh, we've got to have a referendum and see if we need to move our own way, then we'll do that. All right, we're going to take a break. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. To your province, your premier heard every other Saturday morning during the summer months for listeners throughout Alberta. In Edmonton on 630 Ched, right here in Calgary on QR Calgary. Your opportunity to be heard by Premier Danielle Smith. Okay, this is a call-in show, and let's take some calls. We're going to go to uh, Alfie calling on hydrogen power. Go ahead, Alfie. You're on with Premier Smith. Uh, Good morning, and congratulations, Danielle Smith. It's very nice to hear that you won. But I, um, I'm investigating and I'm trying to find uh, to buy a new car. And knowing what's going on with the power grid and all that, I don't trust electric electric cars. So I'm looking. I phone Toyota, talk to them. They have hydrogen cars. They supply them here in Canada, in Quebec, and in BC. But we don't have them in Alberta. When do you think we can have something like that? 
here in Alberta where we can recharge these cars and have hydrogen cars, which is supplement to electric cars, which we can trust because you know what happens with the power, with the power grid. Can you answer that for me, please? Here, here. I sure can, Alfie. The answer is now. I drove one two days ago. The Alber- the Edmonton International Airport managed to secure 100 hydrogen vehicles from Toyota, Toyota Mirais. They're going to be putting them out into their fleet in Edmonton. I wanted to give a, a, a test run on it because we're going to try to buy a few from them. They've got a mobile uh, charging station for hydrogen that's provided by Air Products, you may recall Air Products is doing a net zero hydrogen facility in Alberta. They've announced that. And and so um, I'm going to work with the Edmonton International Airport as they start selling their hydrogen vehicles to make sure that we've got charging stations in enough places so that anybody is able to use them and, and fill up. So let me tell you what I what I learned about it, Alfie. So the uh, Mirais, depending on how, um, how, how fully loaded you want, Want it? They're forty thousand to seventy thousand dollars, so they're still expensive. Sure, but not quite the same price as the EVs. And they also have—they believe that the hydrogen fuel cell will last twenty years, so that's much better as well than electric vehicles. Uh, in addition to that, they uh, the amount of of—it's uh, a different measure. So when you fill up with hydrogen, it's in weight, so it's five kilograms. Five kilograms to fill the tank costs about forty to fifty dollars. So comparable, and you get to drive 700 kilometers on it. So um, I've all. So I'll tell you where I'm going with this, Alfie. I I I tend to agree with you. I I drove a, a hybrid vehicle last summer, and I found that the charging stations were sparse. They didn't work half the time. They weren't in the right place. It took hours to be able to get a charge. That's not going to work in our environment. But you know what will? Hydrogen will work. And I, I when I drove it, I can tell you it's zippy. You don't even. It's not any different than driving a regular vehicle. Filling up is no different than driving a regular vehicle. The issue that we have as government is that we've got to facilitate the building out of the hydrogen infrastructure, probably have to attract Toyota and Honda and Hyundai to come to our province to build uh, uh, car manufacturing plants. But that's going to be the pathway that we go. And I'd love to work with the agriculture sector. May as well put it out there because what's happening right now with the um, semi-vehicles is that they are already working on a dual fuel um, um, engine so that they can be on either diesel or hydrogen. And we need to work on that in all of our agriculture equipment as well, because there, there are so many problems in an environment like we have trying to be 100% electric plug-in vehicles. I think our solution for zero emission vehicles are hydrogen, and they're already here. That brings up... Uh a big issue that was very popular. Phone lines lit up on both QR Calgary and 630 Ched this week uh, over the Trudeau government's plans to ban the sale of combustible automobiles by 2035 as part of this forced adherence to electric vehicles. California and New York have a similar ban in place. We've discussed this before, Premier Smith. Does Alberta have the sufficient power grid to support all those anticipated EVs on the road? Answers no. All we right. just don't. And this is part of the reason why. Um, I'm, I'm. I mean, I know when I came through with the Alberta Sovereignty Act, people were a bit surprised by it. Why I was pushing back so hard against Ottawa? This is why is because I saw all this coming. They, they've been very transparent about what they want to do to us. They want to bring through a 42% emissions reduction on oil and gas by 2030. They want to bring through mandatory sale of zero emissions vehicle by 2035. They want a net zero power grid by 2035, all of which are unachievable. Now, and I think on the last couple of shows that you mentioned, uh, you were in discussion with uh, Premier Doug Ford, and he said uh, Ontario is what... Uh 
90% of the way there, but that's because their power generation is through hydroelectric. Completely. Ours is through uh, oil and gas. So I can tell you, this is not going to be hard for Quebec or Ontario or Manitoba or British Columbia because they have a combination of hydroelectric power. And in uh, Ontario, they also have nuclear and they're going to be expanding nuclear. He also announced that he's going to be doing natural gas, though, too, 1,500 megawatts, and he's going to use carbon capture so that it's abated natural gas. But I can tell you who's in trouble. Us, where 90% of our power grid is is gas. Um, Scott Moe, where 80% of his power grid is, is gas and coal. And you've got similar problems in Nova Scotia and New, and New Brunswick. Not everybody can move at the same rate towards that goal. But I can tell you, in talking with the power guys here, they think that they can achieve a net zero power grid by 2050 because we'll have carbon capture utilization and storage. We'll have time to develop out small uh, modular nuclear. We'll be able to have build intertides between British Columbia and um, and Manitoba to bring in power from from those jurisdictions. And technology developments too. It's uh, what is it? They, it doubles every six months or something Completely. like that. It's, it's and so well, uh, uh, take a look at where we were with cell phones just a dozen years ago. Completely. And I'm interested to see if hydrogen, now that I've seen the incredible use for transportation fuels, maybe hydrogen can also help to replace gas on our power grid. Um, so maybe that's the solution too, but that requires changing out all of the pipes because um, hydrogen is more corrosive. It, it requires different appliances perhaps because they might have a different calibration for hydrogen versus natural gas. None of these things can be done overnight. That's the reason why we have started into a, a proposal for a working group with the federal government. We say, okay, look, let's let's talk about a 2050 time horizon and then let's look at what interim steps are reasonable. But I don't want to I don't want to sugarcoat this. Um, I've been told by people who are in the industry that essentially our existing power grid can accommodate two plug-in electric vehicles. And then as you start adding, you need to upgrade the transformers. Transformers cost $40,000 to upgrade for each uh, you know 12 house block area. And I gather because of supply chain, it's taking 18 months to be able to get uh, to get transformers. So we have to, this is where physics matters, science matters, and what is possible matters. And I believe being in being firmly grounded in reality. So it's very nice to set a target, but it has to be achievable. And what the federal government has put out is not achievable. I also want to now that I feel uh, that we can really make some strides though on uh, on hydrogen vehicles, I'd like to see what a reasonable level of, of vehicle turnover is. I mean, I'm the type of person who owns a car for 20 years. And so I'll, when I'm in the market for the next vehicle, I want it to be a hydrogen vehicle. But we have to realize that uh, families put a lot of money investing in cars. Sure. And we can't force them to then buy a much more expensive vehicle prematurely and have an, an, a huge additional cost because electricity ends up spiking. We have to do this in a way that's going to be affordable, reliable, and support families. And that's, lots of, lots that's, of good the conver- that's the conversation we're having with the federal government. We're going to win that one. All right. Alka Spen calling from Edmonton. I think that's your name. Alka Spen, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. My name is actually Justin, and good morning, Premier Smith. Okay. How do we get that one wrong? Go ahead, Justin. Okay. So first, I'd like to remind voters that in Calgary Heritage, there is a by-election on Monday, so please vote for my friend, uh, Shubaloy Majumar, to send a message to Trudeau. Second of all, I would like to thank Premier Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick for taking a stand against gender ideology in schools, especially in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling about the about the 303 Creative versus Elenis. The Supreme Court of the um, of the United States has held that compelled speech is a violation of the of the First Amendment. So, do you think that we need to review existing legislation that we have here so that way Canadians are not less free than Americans when it comes to, for example, 
compelled speech when it comes to gender identity pronouns? And do you think that ultimately we need to change the constitution so that way our free speech and we so we have so we strengthen our free speech protections to the equivalent of the First Amendment, and that we have a Second Amendment so that way stuff like C11, C18, C16 will end the gun grab will be will be struck down by the Supreme Court here. Okay, you got a lot of stuff there's in a, that there's question. There's a lot of Justin. stuff there. Well, first of all, I would say anyone uh, should look at the Charter of Rights and Freedoms because uh, free speech, freedom of the press, those uh, th- th- those are enumerated in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So we do have that protection, and and uh, and I I hope that that uh, ultimately we can get rid of this cancel culture ideology where every time somebody says something that hurts somebody's feelings, they want to go out and cancel them from social media and make them lose their job. I think we have to get to a better balance. We have to have a higher level of tolerance for robust debates. So I agree, I agree on that. The um, the other issue I would say is that uh, we've already begun to put some of these protections in place at, on campuses. My advanced education minister, Dimitrios Nikolaitis, he put forward a policy where they have to follow the Chicago school principles. And that essentially says that campuses need to be free speech zones. We need to be able to have a robust exchange of ideas. It's always been the case on campuses. The uh, Just before we got a, we, we got into the election, we began um, uh, essentially a report card. We want to make sure that, uh, that we put that aspiration out there. We want to make sure that we're living up to it. So that's the, um, the assessment that we're doing right now. And if we find that there's a large number of complaints that that is not being lived up to, then, then we'll have to go a, a further step. But I have not heard a very large number of complaints. I think there are some isolated complaints, but uh, I think that we're we're moving in the right direction. I think we're having more and more robust conversations. Talk radio is very important to that to be able to have a full exchange of ideas, and I'm I'm hoping that we don't have to have the same kind of polarization in, as we're seeing in the United States. I think if we, if we take the approach that everybody's just trying their best, we want to support kids. Um, as they go through some of the, the challenges that they face. We want to uh, respect parental rights to be able to help guide their kids um, in the values that families have. Then I think we can find the right balance. And, and we're, we're working on trying to, to thread that needle just just along with everybody else. All right. Uh, text lines. Now I want to go to uh, this texter from uh, 630 Ched. Why are you forcing consumers to get the regulated option? How about going back to a regulated market and cut out all the nonsense and extra charges uh, and then later on uh, get off the regulated rate? So uh, there is a misperception about the regulated rate option. I have always hated the regulated rate option because it gives such a wrong impression to people about when you think something's regulated – you think, oh, they're regulating it. They're protecting me. Yeah, there's rules. And that is not what it is at all. Uh, back in 1999, when the when the electricity grid was uh, deregulated, the, a conscious decision was made to have the regulated rate be volatile because the notion was if it was volatile and it really spiked up, then people would say, oh, my goodness, my bill's gotten high. I better go into a contract. It was by design that it would be volatile. And what I've observed over the last couple of years is it is completely and utterly broken. People think that they're protected. Ask anybody what they uh, if, if they're on the regulated rate. They won't know. Ask them what they think their their cost of electricity is. They'll say, oh, it's probably five to six cents a kilowatt hour. It's not. It's 28 to 32 cents yeah, a kilowatt double, hour. Double what the... More. Uh, well, more. Yeah. So, so I've been trying to communicate that for years. When I was on the air, I did countless... Uh, segments trying to explain electricity to, to people. And so we're at a point now where too many people are getting hurt by this. Too many people think they're protected. Seniors, 
those on fixed income, renters, new Canadians, people who maybe don't really think much about electricity until it bites them. Is there an issue, them? though? Like, is there a, a problem for those people to get off the regulated rate option and get on to no, a contract? Not the majority. I mean, no. uh, 40% of people, the, I think the regulated rate is 40% of the people. It's just it's just people, you move and you think, oh, well, my electricity, I'll just call the company and get it set up. Exactly. And uh, most, uh, and w- what we, I'm, uh, what I'm talking with, with, Nate, with Nathan Newdorf about is if you want to be on a volatile rate, you have to sign a disclosure that you understand the volatility and that you're accepting that it can go as four, as low as four cents a kilowatt hour and as high as 30 cents a kilowatt hour. People, if people want to make that choice and have that volatility, they need to do it mindfully. We, uh, we need to change the name of the regulated rate option because it, it is, it is the, uh, we, I'd like to call it the volatile rate option. So people know exactly what it is, but I've been told by NMAX that they, uh, are one company I should I probably should you should call around to all of the different companies. Many of the companies have an option for anybody to be able to very easily sign on, very easily get off with no penalties. And we have to find for the small number of people who might have credit difficulties in being able to get hooked up. There that's where the government will have to step in. We're okay. going to have to make sure that we provide that. What about a temporary rate cap like the NDP have proposed? I'll tell you what happens. A temporary rate rate cap. If we put that in, consumers protected, but it just means taxpayer dollars are going to fund these companies. And I, quite frankly, I think that the the market is being is not working. And so, why would I want to shield, or why would I want to reward companies who are seeing the rates spike up to thirty two cents a kilowatt hour? Why would I want to reward that by giving them government money? I just I think we need to fix the system. I think we need to make sure that we have enough energy coming on stream so that we're able to keep our our op, our options in a band that is reasonable and reasonable now may be higher because we've got a lot of more wind and solar on the on the grid and it's a lot more expensive to provide uh, uh, unreliable volatile power like that and that may be that we have a, a higher level of of electricity costs than than we historically had with coal but it should not be 32 cents a kilowatt hour okay not at all all right back to the phones uh, don has been waiting patiently for uh, almost a whole show don go ahead Hi, Daniel. Premier Smith, Wayne. Um, seeing that we're talking about electricity, you've just given a perfect example of why you don't want to buy an electric car. Um, every vehicle in the province that says flex fuel on the box can run on 100% alcohol, and the emissions are a fraction. But <laughs> that wasn't what I wanted to call. Um, right now, the, we're having the, what's called the B5. So that's China, Russia, India, South Africa, Brazil, they're going to come out with a new currency. They're having their big meeting on uh, August 22nd. They had one previously. There's 81 other countries that are going to get on board. Their currency is going to be backed by gold and silver, hint, hint. Um, But what is Alberta going to do? Because the U.S. dollar is just going to take a tumbling when this happens. They're already in trouble. Um, I don't know what the status of the Canadian dollar will end up being, but all these people that have money in pension funds and they have uh, Blackwater there running them losing money for them is there anything the province can do besides buying gold and silver <laughs> or in investing in this new currency to avoid people from losing their life savings when this transition happens because our dollar is going to absolutely take a beating and I can give you any expert out of the states and they've been watching this and it's just like it's like everybody's at the sl- asleep at the switch and nothing's happening so um, anyway Thanks for your thought. No, I've been watching it for a long time too. It's why it's why I started looking at the markets for 
um, for cryptocurrencies because I wondered if that was going to provide an alternative type of currency that would would provide some stability. It hasn't turned out to be the case. They've actually been more unstable and uh, and more volatile. I'll tell you what I think will happen. I think that um, the non uh, what did you call the the non B five countries are going to have to come together and develop um, some kind of uh, a, tr- a trading mechanism between currencies that will create that stability. I mean, let's face it, you will always have Canada, United States, the UK, the European Union, Australia, New Zealand. We're, we're, all, we're all going to continue trading with each other. And some of the proposals I've heard is that perhaps there's uh, the ability to create some stability by having a, you know, a, a basket of currencies that um, all under, under, underpin each other. I don't know if that's going to happen. The, uh, the fact of the matter is this is federal jurisdiction. And um, I do, even though I am fighting fiercely to protect our areas of constitutional jurisdiction, I do recognize monetary policy is federal jurisdiction. So this is something that Pierre Polyev is very concerned about. It's why he talks about inflation all the time. It's why he talks about the devaluation of the currency with the overspending. It's why he talks about having sound monetary policy. He wants to make sure that the, what, what you're talking about doesn't happen and that everybody can rely on the, the value of the Canadian dollar. So I would just say continue watching what, what Pierre is doing on that front. And I'll, 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 as you, I'll continue watching these developments in the, in the B5 country, countries because I think it, it is going to, to create some instability. All right. Ian has texted in. Uh, he has said, what about compressed natural gas? This goes back to... Uh, your discussion on hydrogen, uh, transit, and other large transportation vehicles like waste management run on CNG. Hundred percent. You know, totally right. I mean, compressed natural gas, ethanol, um, hydrogen. Th- there's all kinds of options. That I here's the problem that I find is that ideologues always try to define not only the outcome but how to get there. And let's find, let's find, let's agree that we want to reduce emissions by 2050. But there's a multitude of ways to get there. And the ways that it makes sense in our market is very different than what makes sense in Quebec. It's the reason why our constitutional founders said that energy production as well as electricity generation should be decided by the provinces. This is exactly the case that we're making to the fed, to the federal government. So I, I'm optimistic. As long as we make the right decisions, we'll be able to we'll be able to reduce emissions, but we'll do it in a way that's smart. Okay. Uh, still with the text lines uh, about the Alberta pension plan. If it is implemented in Alberta, what will happen to the seniors who already receive CPP? And just getting ahead, I think. I think the first step we have to do is release the report. And then when we release the report, we will uh, we'll get the feedback at that time. So I think we're targeting September, October, so people can see the final report. And then uh, we'll have all of those conversations. And if people don't want to move in that direction, we won't have a referendum. If people are happy with the knowing, knowing how much we've overpaid into the CPP and how much we're going to continue to overpay into the CPP, if people are happy with that, then uh, we'll stay with the status quo. Um, and if they want to change, they'll let us know loud and clear. So let's wait till the report comes out. And then uh, I promise you, because I'm back here every other week, uh, we, I will be able to answer those questions once we have the, all the data on the table. Okay. Rory calling in from Edmonton. Uh, stained glass at the legislature. Let me push the button. Rory, yeah, you're on I with was, Premier Smith. Yeah, Madam Premier. And we, I'm concerned that they haven't changed over the stained glass windows above the main north door to reflect the current new crown king, and then move his dear late mother's um, glass to, to, to the left, and then King George VI is to the right. I think since they have a new crown, 
uh, in place that we should, our new monarch that, that we should have the correct window refracting the CE three in the top middle. I think that's it's a important. Good, it's a good point. Let me uh, look I, into I, that. I, yeah, that would I be. I mentioned it to infrastructure. Yeah. And they sent the letter back, but I did paper mail a copy of that letter infrastructure to office room three hundred seven office of the premier. But they said you guys are not necessarily in there, and you're partly in the sky suite and all this stuff like Kenny was. And, <laughs> E- so, even, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm in the legislature building. I'm not I'm not in the Sky Palace. Yeah. Um, but the uh, but I'll I'll look into that because you're right. I mean, there was a delay because we had to wait for the official coronation. So we did keep all of the pictures on the wall of uh, Her Majesty. And so if there are are changes that that need to be made, then I'll have to see if those are are under review and under commission. I've made a note, but uh, thanks for raising it. You're you're quite right. Okay, uh, boy, we got a full slate of phone calls. Uh, it's. Any, meeny, miny, mo. Who am I going to go to here? Let's pick uh, John, uh, who has been holding on for about 20 minutes. Law and mental health question. Go ahead, John. You're on with Premier Smith. How you doing, Premier Smith? Thanks for taking my call. Mental health and police officers. It doesn't exist to get it. Actually, the frameworks are, but if you try to access mental health, you're beaten up, you're bullied, and you're ostracized. You remember when you're on the radio taking the calls, uh, Jen Magnuson, look what she went through. Yeah. She tried working through it, and she ended up, you know, a 108-page lawsuit. By the way, she's doing extremely well. And then you had other officers phoning in saying, look, I can't be a good cop because if I go to turn this guy in, I'm now ostracized and beaten up. Uh, John at the courthouse with a service dog, you know, what the police uh, did to him. It's just the way that it's going. And I am John from, from the courthouse. It's John and the service dog. But I got, a, I got an idea how to fix that, Daniel. Okay. John, John um, we've, uh, we've discussed this uh, quite a bit. But we'll get uh, Premier Smith to address the first couple of questions. Sure, I'll address the issue of um, of PTSD, um, and and this is part of the reason why we have asked to put. We've changed the the approach that we're taking to overseeing police commissions, and we we do have appointees now from the province who are on the uh, the, the commissions in in Calgary and Edmonton and the other uh, the other municipal jurisdictions because there's a there's a, a huge component of mental health that when it comes to policing practice, a lot of the calls that are made are mental health calls. And we need to figure out where when somebody either is in the throes of a, an addiction and causing harm to themselves or others, or they have a mental health disorder and it's the same thing, we need to figure out a better pathway to get them the treatment that they need. That's part of the reason. But I, I think that what we will also discover is that addressing the issue of, of PTSD and support for our frontline officers is uh, is going to be one of the things we have to, to do as well, whether it's paramedic, whether it's fire, whether it's policing, whether it's social workers in the <clears throat> children's services area. We have a lot of public servants who see some pretty awful things and have to deal with some pretty awful situations. We've got to make sure everybody's mentally healthy. So I, I hope that with the changes that we've made with the police commissions, giving us a little bit more of um, of oversight, we can, we can advance some of those ideas. So thanks for the call, John. All right. We're going to pause for our final break on one. If you have a specific question you'd like the Premier to answer, you know the numbers, 403-974-8255 in Calgary, 780-496-0063 in Edmonton. Uh, we're going to start off uh, going to Steve in Edmonton with a senior's question. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, hi. Um, uh, Premier, you uh, mentioned that you would be providing a senior's discount of 25% at registry services. Uh, I know you've mentioned it before on the show, but we've never received a, a date of uh, when we can expect this to be implemented. 
Everything that uh, is related to finances, I'm trying to to um, bring in with the upcoming budget in the new year. So uh, the budget timing on that is normally we release it sometime in February, and then it's passed by April, and then there'll be a few months of rollouts. So we 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 have to be mindful too. We have to monitor what's happening out there in the in the markets with uh, with oil and gas revenues because our overriding. Uh, concern is that we have to make sure that we run balanced budgets. And so I'm continuing to monitor that. We did pretty well last year. Things seem to be stabilizing in the market. We're closing the differential. There's a number of things that are happening, but we just want to have that e- extra measure of prudence that when we bring it in, that we have the uh, the, abil- the ability to pay for it. We have to work through the registries on it. So the ideal would be to bring it through the, in the budget in, in uh, 2024. All right. Ben is uh, texting in from Edson. Premier Smith, how are you going to control our situation with constant increases with insurance and property taxes? When are the rate increases going to stop? Everything's going up except for wages. It's a real problem. And so we we had we were interrupted in our analysis with the election. But I saw this along with everyone else, that some of the last rate increases that were allowed were 16% increases back in November. And we just thought that we can't continue to see those kind of, of, of hikes. So we have a new finance minister. I've just given him his new his mandate letter in the last uh, number of days, and this is one of the things that he'll have to work with our affordability and utilities minister to try to find a solution. I don't know what the solution is, quite frankly, okay. because we we have a a market now where I'm hearing there's a few things the cost of. Um, uh, of natural disasters is driving up the rates. We've had more than our fair share of uh, natural disasters. We also are seeing rates driving uh, being driven up because of uh, costs of litigation around personal injury. We're seeing rates driven up because as well uh, the cost of repair for vehicles, which is, is becoming astronomical. But why is it that Alberta has the highest auto insurance rates in the country from what I've read recently? Because taxpayers subsidize it in other provinces. So they, they may have a lower rate for rate payer, but then they, they pay for it on the other end with uh, with taxpayer dollars. So that's the I mean that's the the conversation. If you go for a, a government funded program when if you want to maintain lower rates some and uh, and the cost uh, th- those costs are, are are escalating no matter what. I mean there's still a cost of natural disasters and car repair and personal injury in in those jurisdictions also. And so we've uh, that would drive up the cost it's just paid for a different way. So we've got to figure out what the what we need to do to to be able to maintain a, a free enterprise market here but make sure that it's functioning as it should so that that people have competitive rates. All right. Uh, boy, the uh, entire phone list that I'm looking at right now is all on electricity and regulated rates. Uh, but before I go to those calls, I want to take this texture from uh, Edmonton. It's Hippo. Hippo says, when are we going to have shovels in the ground on our first nuclear reactors? <laughs> Well, you know, I'd love for you for uh, the radio to do a few segments on that because I I can tell you that I, I feel like there is a general support for for trying um, a new form of energy with small modular nuclear. I feel like people are, are a lot more confident in that than uh, some of the large projects that have been proposed in the past. I know that that, that Doug Ford and Ontario Power is is going in a direction where they're creating them and they're and people from around the world are coming to to use Canadian technology. So I feel like there there is an aspiration and. An interest in doing that. We have to do a lot of consultation because we've never done it in this province. Before. At one time, we did export the what were they called the Kandu nuclear mm-hmm. reactors. That's true, and yeah. so and they're working on a new model right now. I I know that they've got they've uh, they've signed international deals because I just had a chance to talk with Premier Ford 
recently. And I said, I'd love to be able to do that too. I've raised it with Jonathan Wilkinson. I've raised it with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. I said, this is part of how we're going to be able to have a zero emissions grid, but we've never done it before. And often, you know how anytime you try to do something new with an environmental regulatory environment, it's the federal government who is responsible for, for nuclear. So part of what I've, I'm going to propose is, is whether there's the ability for us to do a substitution. We, we have the ability um, to take charge of the environmental process, and then the federal government will honor our environmental process. And so since Manitoba's managed to, to go through and get approvals, uh, Ontario's got approvals, New Brunswick has approvals, there is a pathway. But I, I agree. I think, I think what we'll probably see in our province, if I was to guess is that some of the larger industrial operations that might need 15 to 20 megawatts of power, they'll be the first ones. And and then once people feel a little bit more comfortable about it, then it becomes um, as our natural gas power plants reach the end of their natural life, maybe we substitute out and do more nuclear that way. That's how I, I can envision it going, but uh, there's a heck of a lot of consultation we have to do because it's a brand new concept in our province. All right. Still with that power generation, Rob calling in from Bonneville on electrical rates. Go ahead, Rob. Hi, Premier Smith. I was just wondering, like, uh, you, I heard you interesting talk about earlier about the rates and, and that, because I'm in one of those plans, too. But when it comes to the costs of everything else we have to pay for, like the administration fees and stuff like that, my power bill last month was $254. Uh, $30 of that was actually electricity, and the rest was rates and everything else. So with us having to pay all those prices of the extra rates and everything, and they're pushing the electrical vehicles and the amount of power that those things are going to take. Who's all going to have to pay for that? Is there going to be an individual charge extra for the people that will have those energy, have those electrical vehicles? Or is it going to be all of us paying for that? And one quick question for you before I let you go is when you were driving an electrical vehicle, the charging ports, I've tried to figure out who pays for that? Or is that something on the vehicle itself that gets billed back to the vehicle when you're out, when everybody's out and about at these charging stations? Thank you. Thanks. I've seen it a couple of ways. I think that there are some jurisdictions that because they want to provide it as a service, I think we plugged in at a hotel, for instance, and the hotel covered the charge. Um, when I tried to plug in at uh, Edmonton Chamber, if the thing had been working and it didn't work the three times I tried it, we would have used our own credit card to be able to access the charge. And that's, I think, normally how it's done. I think even some of them have iPhone, uh, Apple Pay kind of access as well. So normally you're paying for the charge yourself. The um, the the issue of the electricity rates is, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a serious one that you raise that the, and everybody sees it, the, the cost of their electric, and that's the, the thing that's so frustrating is that even if you try to reduce the amount of electricity, the cost of transmission, distribution, rate riders, administration fees, so on and so forth, that makes up the lion's share of the bill. That, that's what we've got to address. And so in the Affordability and Utilities Minister's mandate letter, not only did I say we have to address this issue of the badly named regulated rate option, we also have to address the issue of reliability and affordability on our grid. We have to bring on more base load power so that we don't have wild swings in uh, in the cost of electricity. But we, the third thing we have to look at is the cost of the transmission and distribution lines. And let me just say a couple of things that has, have driven up the cost of power. One was the early phase out of coal. There's no question about it. 
Um, we're paying now, just so you know, about $180 million a year every year for the next seven years because we phased out coal early and we had stranded assets. That goes into the cost of your power bill. The other thing is when you take off 45, say, say you take off 5,000 megawatts of coal and you bring on 5,000 megawatts of wind and solar. Well, wind and solar are, are intermittent. And so you actually have to build three times as much in order to get the same amount of power. And guess what happens when you have to build three times as much wind and solar? Well, they're in tiny installations. And so you have to build more distribution and transmission lines. So everything that is driving up the cost of power are the decisions that were made under the prior government. And we're dealing with it today. So we've got to, we've got to take a, a, a chance to breathe and realize power is vitally important to individuals, vitally important to businesses. Our number one job is to be able to deliver a power grid that is reliable and affordable and increasingly lower emissions. And it's going to take a little bit more time on that. All right. We're going to have to wrap it up right there. Just before we go, we started off with a little bit of levity on the show. We're going to end. Texter from QR Calgary says, why can't bus traps be called car traps? All right. Uh, thanks for joining us again today, Premier Smith. Now, you're going to have your deputy premier sitting in with us uh, in two weeks, Mike Ellis, on August 5th. And we will see you sometime after that. Thank you again. Thanks, Wayne. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.